Good morning. Let's get started. Father, we thank you for this day that you've made. We thank you, Father, for bringing us here safely. We thank you for the privilege of even being in your house today. And now, Father God, as we crack the pages of our book, Lord God, the Bible that you've preserved through these many years, Lord God, we pray that as we open this book, you will open our hearts and allow the truth, Lord God, to be embedded in our hearts. And Father God, we pray that with that truth, Lord God, our lives will be transformed. And Lord God, that we will be the type of people that you want us to be here on this earth and that we will impact others because of our relationship with you. God, we ask that you'll help us in this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our study with the great I am. Don't be distracted by the camera. It's for those who will watch it from the um, upload, for particularly the people in the class who cannot be here today. So we're doing a study on the great I am. Who is the great I am? And why is he referred to as the great I am? Last week we tried to do a bit of a review. We got to do as far as the Old Testament um, insights of the I am, who Jehovah God himself described himself as the I am. And we saw that the children of Israel were able to identify with the great I am because when Moses was sent and he asked, who should I say sent me? God told him to call him by name. Tell them that the God of Jacob, Isaac, he has sent me the I am. And they were able to identify with the I am. And I pray that God will help us to see him like how the children of Israel see him. It settles the situation on which God we serve and his ability when we recognize him as the I am. And the I am you come to see means a lot to in many different places and situations. We'll see the I am in the part of his name. I am Jehovah Shalom. I am Jehovah Nisi, I am Jehovah Jireh, he is the I am your provider, I am your peace, I am your um, shepherd, Rohi, whatever he is the I am. But I like to say it like this, he is the I am of any and everything you need him to be. And you will see that as you study the word. Everything you need is encompassed in him, and out of him flows everything that you need. He, he's the creator God. He created everything. And I like to think about him and creation. And I get blessed every time I read in Genesis how he took time and it goes through the days. And I like at the end of the day, it says he looked at what he had made. And he said it was good. It was good. It was good. And then he made man and he said it is very good. And then I read a little further and I see that after he put man in the garden, he said, he noticed that man had a deficit and man had a need. So to complete man, he made woman. And God, I thank God so many times when I read that, that it blesses me. 
He doesn't want us to have deficits. And he is the God who is, my favorite name for him is El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough, more than sufficient, the all-sufficient God. So today we're going to continue our study, and I'd like for us to transition into the New Testament. Um, if you have your handouts, I am on page 13, and we'll see how the New Testament identifies Jesus clearly, Jesus now as the great I am. Last week we were looking at our Father, God the Father as the I am. Let's now look at Jesus. So our base scripture is going to be the Gospel of John and chapter 7. Um, this is usually an interactive um, class. I don't usually speak throughout the session, but only because of the microphone and that we're trying to record it for others, I will do the reading so that it can pick it up. So chapter 7 and verse 1 of the John's Gospel says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do think, do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it, that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Now I'm going to just read on to verse 13. And then we'll start. So, but when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. So here you see we can gather a background from John chapter 7. In verse 5, we, it says that Jesus was misunderstood even by his own blood brothers. These were his brothers, hey? But guess what? They had a different father, hey? Because Jesus was the only one that had an immaculate birth. The only one then and the only one up to this state and the only one forever. No matter how many people tell you they got pregnant without sex, only one happened was with Mary and Jesus, okay? So let's keep that straight, let's keep that straight. Some messing around was 
in the flesh. Before, if you hear anybody else say, they may not have done everything fully, but they had some messing around. This was no messing around. The Holy Spirit impregnated Mary and brought forth a holy child was God born under a sinful nature, the person in Jesus Christ. Yeah? So Jesus was misunderstood by his own brothers. So they would have been Mary and Joseph's children. He grew up with his brothers and his sisters, and he, they just did not know or recognize the difference in him. Because what? He looked like them. He probably walked like them. He talked like them. And he needed to rest like them. He played like them. He did everything like them except he did not sin. Because the Bible says he could not be the substitute for our sins if he had sin in his life. So he, God, put on flesh, lived a sinless life, and then later gave his life at age 33 that our lives can be secured and we can be brought back to God. Huh? Okay, so Jesus was misunderstood by his own brothers. So in verse 6, we see that Jesus understood that right timing mattered. Now many times we want what we want and we want it now or we want to get on and do it now. But Jesus recognized that timing is important. We, sometimes God may speak to us a word and we're ready to jump and put it right into place. And sometimes he discloses it piece by piece. Sometimes it's a part of it that we are to obey right then. And then he unfolds the next step as it goes on, as we go on, right? So um, then his brothers challenged him to say, all of these things that are happening in your life, why don't you go and show it? Go and show it out. Let people see it. Why are you doing things in secret? All of these things need to be seen. What they were trying to say is, go make a name for yourself, Jesus. But Jesus say, uh-uh. This ain't my time. He said, timing matters. So what was he having to do? Even though he knew he was God, and even though he knew he had the power, he knew before they asked him to turn the water into, into wine that he had the ability to do it. He knew he had the ability to speak life to death, and it had to change. He knew that even then because he was God, and God is all-knowing. He was, he is, and will always be God. He knew what was within him, but he said, it's not my time to show that forth. So he had to tell his brothers of the flesh that he doesn't follow the flesh. His timing is about the spirit of God and the timing of God being obedient to his father. He moves when the father speaks, huh? And that's a good lesson for us, not to get ahead of the father. That we be quiet until he moves us. And when he nudges us to tell us move, we move obediently and do all that he sends us to do. So Jesus is a very good example there. So Jesus knew not only that timing mattered, but Jesus also knew that he was hated by the world. The brothers didn't recognize the intense hate that the world had for him. And he knew why he was hated. 
he was hated because he was different. He was hated because verse 7 tells us that he testified or he exposed their evil works. Many times Jesus spoke to them and it was like razor cut into the heart because he knew what? Their very thoughts and their intents. Yes? Many times we saw even when his disciples were jostling for position, sometimes he, 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 he took the time to teach them and all. He said, just look at a little child, he said, you all know who could be the, the, the greatest in the kingdom. He put the little child on his lap. He says, just like this of such. This is how you have to become like little children, right? So because he's God, he knows everything. He knew that timing mattered, and he knew that he was hated by the world, and he knew why the world hated him, because he exposed the, their evil works. Then Jesus shocks the Jews with his insight as he taught them from the scrolls in the temple. Now, we're going to read on a little bit in verse 14 and 15. It says, now about the middle of the feast. Remember, I told you Jesus still, as we read just now, Jesus went to the feast, but not knowing to his brothers. He allowed them to go on ahead. Why do you think he allowed them to go on ahead? Did he see that his timing was not now? Because they wanted him to go out and display, right? And show himself. And sometimes God isn't ready for us to be seen. Hmm? So we, we have to wait for timing. Why? Because the people, if we see that their hearts are, hard, are hardened, and he knows that we may not um, gain any ground here. He may just save your timing. And he may help you to zip your lip. You still live your consistent life in front of these people but he may allow you not to speak at that time. And then at another time, people may be more open and willing to accept the word, and he will give you the boldness and the nudge by the spirit to speak a word to this person. And it may be on a one-to-one -one basis, as well as it may be a whole group of people. But sometimes people think that, particularly today, so many people are, I call it self-acclaimed prophets and apostles. They want to make this name for themselves at any expense, any ex any little bit of word that they've learned, they think that they're going to expound. And sometimes their heart isn't right. Their motives aren't right. They're doing it just to be seen by men. And that never ought to be our motive. Our motive should be to move as the dictate of the Spirit leads us because the Spirit knows the hearts that we will speak to. Yes? And he will know the timing that that person is going to be most likely even to give their heart to the Lord as well. So, um, verse 14 and 15 in John 7 says, now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and talked. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Let's go on. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak 
on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who has sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Now, that is very, that's a mouthful right there. And um, I'm glad that Jesus' brothers went on ahead and did not know that he had come behind. And he didn't come behind and look for his brothers and say, I decided to come any old how. Why? I believe the brothers would have been a distraction. I believe they would have been trying to say, Jesus, show, show this, touch this one, heal this one, do this and do that. And that wasn't his mission of that day. His mission that was sent to God was to go and teach. So he went to the temple and he taught. Who did he teach? He, te he was there teaching those who were supposed to be the well-educated, those who were trained in the scriptures, um, the rabbis and the, the, the persons who would unroll the scroll and had all of the insight. They were sitting at his feet like students and things were being disclosed to them. They were receiving revelations from this man. And they said, hello, hold on. They marveled that he was able to give them such insight. And what does the word said? Because he was untrained, untaught. Who taught him? He didn't need to be taught. He was God himself right there in the front of them. Of course, they did not know that, okay? So it was, he, you know, that's one of the characteristics of God, right? Yes. Omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, knowing all things, and omnipresent everywhere at the same time. That's the character of God, all right? So here we see in Jesus um, saying, shocks the Jews, with his insight as he taught them from the scrolls in the temple, and their claim was, he is uneducated. The thing about it is, Jesus had already, Jesus knew everything, and they would take their whole lifetime and not learn the things that Jesus knew. They would pass out of this earth without knowing it, why? Because he's the all-knowing God. So Jesus gives them an acid test. Here he tells them, you all want to know if I'm correct in my doctrine? Let me tell you how to test. And this is the same test you and I must apply when we hear people teaching today. Here's the test he says. That's a test for assessing the validity of the teaching and the ownership of a doctrine is A, if it glorifies self, then the doctrine is a fraud. If it's only to pump me up or to make me look good, my teaching is all about me. Hmm? But B says, when the speaker seeks to glorify God, the one who sent him, then this represents the genuine doctrine. Those are, you'll find in between verse 17 and 18, of John 7. So here we see Jesus, who the Jews viewed as unlearned, teaching and correcting them. Guess what? Not in the deep things, you know, in the very basic fundamentals. Okay? 
So Jesus was even thought to be demon-possessed. So we read on verse 20, says that, did, let's read verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon who is seeking to, who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marveled. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the Father, but from the fathers, and you circumcise the man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses should not be broken. Are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath day? Do not judge according to their parents, but judge with righteous judgment. So he's telling them, look, you're a little off now. He says, you all can follow the laws of Moses and everything, but y'all watch me heal somebody on the Sabbath day, and that is such a fall to y'all. You know, he's saying to them, y'all way this thing. Look at what y'all are saying. It doesn't make sense. So it's, it's, I really hate to chop this up, even for time, but I'm going to encourage you to go in your quiet time this week and read this from verse 1. I think it ends to verse 53 or thereabouts. Read this entire chapter. It has so many insights into it. But just for the sake of getting to where we want to go, I want us to drop down to verses 28 and 29. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have come of I have not come of myself, but he who has sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Now here we see Jesus without hesitation boldly proclaiming his origin to be in God and that he was on God's assignment while bluntly declaring to these Jews, these learned men, that y'all don't even know God. So what he's saying is y'all here teaching, y'all teaching some facts, some stuff y'all have learned, but you have no knowledge of God. You are not of God. Your behavior shows that you do not follow the God who I came from. Hmm? Now, I want to ask a question, and for those of you who will view this later, I want you to ponder the same question. I don't need your answers. I just want you to answer these questions. Knowing your own temperament, knowing who Wendy Cash is, how are you or me likely to respond if our blood relatives call us a fake and a fraud? What would be our natural tendency? Hmm? It's fighting time. I see everybody doing this. They fighting words. Because huh? we will try to what, justify our position and prove them otherwise. Isn't that a natural tendency? Yes. So sometimes, though, we know who we are 
in Christ and we know that we are on assignment but by God but sometimes we find ourselves wanting to be accepted by the people around us so we'd rather not them know that hmm? is that a fact sometimes we seek the acceptance and the approval of the word so much that we shy away from delivering the message God has given us. So I want us to learn from this scripture and this passage that even though Jesus is God and was God as he walked on the earth as a man, his will was his desire and his total commitment was to be obedient to the will of his father and to do what he sent him to do, irregardless to the consequences. He did not seek to please man above his assignment from God. So may God help us with that, to learn that doing God's will is always going to be better than receiving the acceptance or the approval of the man who is not in relationship with God. So let us be careful of, of, of that um, thing. Now I want us to just put a, a reference in here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God was, were pleading through us. We implore you in Christ, on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. That is what God expects us to be about being ambassadors, representing him, even in our sphere, wherever our marketplace is, those that we have influence over, whether it's in our family, in our neighborhoods, on our jobs. We are to represent God and his kingdom, just as Christ did. Even when it's in a volatile situation, we are to stay true to our assignment, okay? We are to be ambassadors for him. Now is it possible that some are on their way to a Christless eternity because we have refused to share the good news of both God's love and his judgment with individuals? That was God, that was Jesus' assignment and he did not fail. He is to be our great example so we are to go and do likewise. I don't want nobody's blood to be on my hands. I make it to heaven, and then God has to say, but I sent you on assignment on such and such a day, and you knew that I was nudging you to speak to so-and-so. That was their last opportunity. I don't want to be in that position. So to make sure I'm not in that, I try to take every avenue I can to, to share Christ. Even when I know a person professes to be Christ, a Christian, I, I, so many times people say that they are Christians and they have the talk down pat. But when they, they live in a compromised life, you hear what it says? That we are to warn them not only of share with them God's love, but that there's a judgment of God as well. We can't only present him as an all-loving God. He is. He is all-loving. But he is also going to be a God of justice and fairness, and he's going to punish sin. What does Romans 6 and 23 say? 
Romans 3 and 23 says, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6 and 23 says, and the wages of sin is death. Right? So there's an eternal separation from God because sin and God are not going to be in the same place. So we have to be able to share and to tell people exactly what God says. We can't switch it to be accepted by them. Huh? We have that one message and the one message must remain true and we must be true to sharing that word, that one message that he has given to us. Okay, so I want to ask another question. How are you likely to react if someone called you a demon or tell you that you have a demon or that they call you dumb? Hmm? Anybody want to be called ignorant? Hmm? Yes, here with these men. That's what they call Jesus, the all-knowing God. So, sometimes we don't even answer. He didn't even pick them up on that. He didn't even give them that. He dealt with them when he was able to tell them bluntly, y'all don't even know God. Because if y'all knew God, y'all would have been able to apply the acid test and to know whether my doctrines are lining up. Y'all think y'all deep, but y'all ain't as deep as you think you are. Hmm? So, it is very interesting to note that, the, like I said, the chapter 7, the whole tells us at the end, um, I'm going to drop to that last verse, I think verse, verse 53 says, let's, let's turn to it and let me read it the way it is quoted in the word. It says, and everyone went to his own house. So Jesus had spent a, a, a day that was most frustrating. First of all, he was misunderstood by his own brothers who believed him to be a fake and a fraud. Yet on the other hand, they were telling him, go and display who you are and what you can do in the front of all of these people. They wanted him on the limelight stage to say, yeah, he belonged to us. He related to us perhaps. And then on the other hand, they want to say, but you ain't for real. Which way? You, you can't have it both ways. But they seemingly wanted it too. Then we saw Jesus said, this ain't my time yet. So, but yet he knew that God had, was pushing him for an assignment for that day to go and teach. So he went to the temple and he did his teaching. That was his assignment for that day. And he had, at that time he was called everything, a demon, and whatnot, and they challenged his word, they called him uneducated, they called him dumb. So he was going through all of these emotions back and forth and, and dealing with it. And at the end of the day, it said, the people that were there had to have, at the end of the day, said, okay, so what do I do with all that I've heard today? But I'm seeing that at the end of the day, they all went home to their houses. That's what verse 53 said. And I think it was a day of such confrontations with the religious leaders and Jesus ended with each one of them retiring to their own home. But between verse 
53 of chapter 7. Let's move to verse 1 of 8. It says, but. So the buts can't start a whole chapter. It seems to have been that this might have been a continuation from the verse ahead. It says, and everyone went to his own house. And verse chapter 7. Chapter 8 starts, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Full stop. Now why did Jesus go to the Mount of Olives? There's a lot of things that we can think about in this. You know, we've read that Jesus himself said, foxes have holes. Yeah? Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has what? Nowhere to lay his head. We realize that when he traveled, that he what? He lived with his friends. Martha and Joseph, Martha and Lazarus and Mary were his friends. In city to city, as he ministered, he, he lived with his friends, yes? So, when you live with friends, and you need quiet time away with God. Do you think after having such a frustrating day, you want to retreat and you just want to get in your prayer closet and you want to decontaminate, let everything go and have to ask the Lord, please, Lord, help, give me the capacity to forgive these people and to let go the feelings of insults, you know, that were thrown at me today that I'm dumb and I'm stupid and I'm demon-possessed, huh? Uh, y'all don't do that when y'all go home you have to declutter particularly when a lot of negative has been thrown at you in one day and you knew the truth and nobody can hear what you're saying huh yes I know I have to and, 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 and when you know you said something and it was misconstrued and you knew the intent of the words were not to cause any hurt hello sometimes we have to Breathe and ask God, God, bring me back to that place. Let me not hold this against them so that I can move on. And, I, and, and sometimes we have to forgive and release people even before they ask for forgiveness. Why? Because the unforgiveness will be holding you back. Hmm? So, no doubt the people, though, also left with a lot of mixed emotions. They wanted to know who was truth in all of this. The learning teachers or this new man on the block called Jesus. He made sense. Then when they see him rattling their cages, they may say, oh, hey, but he, if he ain't learning, he'd know all of that. How You understand? So I believe there was a lot of confusion as they went home to their houses. But Jesus, I believe, went to the Mount of Olives for two things. I believe he, he went to declutter his own mind and to commune with the Father. Many times we see that Jesus will draw away from the crowds to have that intimate time with God. I believe it was there that he was um, reinforced and strengthened. And that's somewhat where we need to do too. After the day has beaten us up from pillar to post, find our space and our time, even as, as tight as your house may be. Even if you have to go to the bathroom and lock the door, 
Anybody been flushing the toilet unnecessary, just to say as if you ain't finished, just stay there. Or, or whether it's the time that you go to take a bath, find your time to pull away to God. Sometimes they're looking for you, sometimes you're in your closet, they can't find you in your literal clothes closet, laying under the clothes before the Lord. Huh? But sometimes we have to pull away and let God speak to us and let him build us back up, right? And ask so that we can ask forgiveness for those who have heard us. I'm not watching the time. I didn't bring my watch. So let me... 10.45? Like, huh? Okay. So, like I said, Jesus might have gone to Mount Olives for many reasons. He was mentally tired and frustrated at the commentary and the insults of the day. The fact that he was the all-wise, all-knowing God and was being insulted and called unlearned by the mere mortal man whose limited knowledge would never arise to his level, nor would they attain it in their entire lifetime. Then thirdly, he might have wanted to be alone, away from human distractions, or simply he might have wanted to commune and to pray with his father. And like I said, this is a good example for us to incorporate in our lives. After this type of day, let us draw aside to our Heavenly Father, who will heal our hurts, gives us strength and peace and boldness to return to the same folk. Now, why am I saying return to the same folk? Because I see in the word that sometimes the very next morning, you have to confront these same people again. I'm talking about the people that, how many of y'all get a new place of work every day? No, right? And you gotta go back to them same people who were disgusting and carrying on yesterday. And guess what? You can't go back with those built up feelings that you had. Because what? God has renewed you and changed you and you've already forgiven them. And they're wondering if you could come in there with some type of attitude or chip on your shoulder. And because you are the child of God who spent time with your father communing, you come as a different woman the next day. It says in verse 2, in, in chapter 8, Now early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman. So they didn't believe he was nothing. But guess what? They sure come the next day trying to see how he could judge in the case of this woman caught in adultery, eh? But he ain't know nothing. And this is dummy. Isn't this a demon possessed? Why are you taking him to judge this woman? They were trying to set him up. Their problem was they didn't know that they were dealing with the I am. Hmm? They didn't know that. So Early in the next morning, when you have to see these people again, you are coming back, what? Fortified, strengthened, and with a boldness. Because you have left the damage of yesterday in yesterday. You don't carry those feelings on with you. So when you see the person, you don't have to try to avoid them. 
catch your eye and go the next way or let them pass first and then you walk up pretend like you was busy reading or something and you wasn't reading nothing you know but all of a sudden your head going down because you don't want to come eye to eye with them no not the child of god and you could you could really greet them with nothing in your heart because why you spend time with your father and you've released them and you know that god is going to intervene or vindicate on behalf of the righteous. So some things you don't pick up. These little things you don't pick up and deal with. Every fight, you don't have to be in it, in the ring. If it takes two to fight, am I saying you just stand there and get blow upon blow upon blow? I know, you remove yourself from the situation. Hmm? God didn't call you to fight, he called you to what? Teach that day. They can't deal with the truth that you taught us on them. So, John chapter 8, verse 48 and 50 to 59 says, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor him. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keep my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and a prophet, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. So what they were saying is, Abraham kept the word, the prophets kept the word, and they all died. So how you can tell promise anybody that they won't die? So he says, are you greater than, this is them asking him, are you greater than our father Abraham who was dead? And Jesus could have said yes, because he was what? God Almighty. Hmm? But he didn't answer that. And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him slapping them up again. You have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Hello. Who's getting the blows in today? But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, Look, you ain't 50 yet. You know he died at 33. What kind of math you doing? You ain't, Abraham ain't see you. But by faith, Abraham saw him. But they weren't deep enough to know that. Okay? He says, most surely I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. There is Jesus. There is Jesus saying, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Was well, that good grammar? Guess why he said I am? Because he had no beginning and he has no end. So he will always be present tense. I am. We get it? Then they took up stones. They couldn't take it no more to throw at him. And guess what? Every stone must he land and hit somebody else because Jesus just walked right through the midst of them. He wasn't a ghost. He was a natural man. 
But none of the stones touch him. In the midst of them, he just walked right out of their presence. So, this, here we see two more times Jesus being um, labeled as a demon. He challenges them that, again, that they did not know God and that he knew God personally. Uh, he was not about to deny God and he was not about to be a liar like them. And he challenged them to say, yesterday I told you all the acid test. Who was being glorified? And, you know, Jesus tried to show them so many things in such a short time. But I really love this. Jesus was before Abraham. He was with the Father at creation, a part of the let us team, the let us team, let us make man in our own image. Let us? Yes. He was a part of that team. So when the first man was created from the dust of the earth, he was the unchanging God even at that time. So Jesus is the I am. In the New Testament, Jesus is the I am. So Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You and I could be confident today because if Jesus healed yesterday, then what does he do today? He still heals. Yes? If Jesus gave peace yesterday, when we are troubled and frustrated and wringing our hands, what should we look for? Him to give us what? Peace. Because he is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. If he befriended the despised like Zacchaeus yesterday, what do you expect for him to do today? He's going to do it and he's going to do it through me and you. We're going to look for those that are despised and we're going to give them hope. Yes? If he showed mercy and compassion, then he will show mercy and compassion now because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he reached out to the outcast, then he is reaching out to the outcast now. The people who were leprous and were scourged and um, looked down and avoided, those are the same people Jesus would meet now. How many of the lepers he touched and healed, huh? So he is the, he is the God who, who, who provided funds for them to pay taxes. So what is he going to do when you have to pay your taxes and your bills? If he have to make some fish, spit out some, 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 some um, pearls of great price, he can do that because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I am saying to you, he hasn't changed. He hasn't lost any of his power, and he's still the great I am. Jesus is the great I am. The New Testament supports that fact. And um, I'm going to close with this. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So today I'm going to say to you, let us walk with the I am. Let us know that he is, he has everything you need. Everything. Whether it's emotional, financial, physical, whatever. He is the I am. 
So Father God, we thank you for our relationship in Jesus. God, we pray that you will cause us to appreciate it more every day. Give us a heart, Lord God, to seek and to search your word and to line up, Lord God, our thoughts with your thoughts. God, I pray that you'll help us to be obedient servants, Lord, of your word. And God, I thank you, Lord God, for the fact that you never change. You are the God that changes not. And we're so happy that you have considered and drawn us to yourself. Now, God, I pray that you will empower us to make a difference in our world. May we show you, show you forth to the world, Lord God, and encourage someone somewhere, Lord God, to accept you as Savior and Lord. Not only that they may escape hell, but that they will live a life on purpose here on this earth. God, I thank you for your protection over us today and this week as we go about. God, I thank you for keeping us safe in Jesus' name. Amen.